a passage that many preachers skip, as you can imagine why, and the way it's been used through the years. But I'm going to show you that when you learn that it doesn't work, it's one of those days. It was working. Anyway, I'll keep talking for a second. How about that? I'll just check the settings. Which should not have changed theoretically. Anyway, when you take a look at this passage and come to understand what it meant in Jesus' day, you're going to find that he, he takes, let me, let me say this, Jesus has to follow the law, right? He said earlier, we're in Matthew's gospel, that I am the fulfillment of the Torah and the prophets, right? We're all good with that. He has no choice but to stick with that. But he's going to add on to this. Verses 11 and 12, when I tell you what that's talking about, you're going to go, brilliance. Complete brilliance. You also have to understand what's going on in Jesus' day with marriage and divorce, which most of you don't. What's scary is, yes, I have heard fundamentalists get up there and go, how horrible it is to get divorced, and it's blah, 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 blah. And that's because they're reading those first 10 verses and thinking about today, not 2,000 years ago, and they leave 11 and 12 off. That thing about the eunuchs, they have no clue what to do with it. It makes no sense because we don't have eunuchs walking around, do we? You never know. You know, keeps you out of trouble, I guess. But I'm going to show you how, how he did this and why we shouldn't fear this passage and others now that we know how to look at the culture and see what Jesus really said. There was a massive debate going on in his day about divorce. And there were two separate polls, if you will, or thinking of it. The Pharisees had their beliefs, which we'll tell you about divorce in a second. And we've come to know that they don't come to test Jesus. They want to know which side is he on. Is he on the right? Is he on the left? I'm sorry to use political terms. Please don't think politics for a moment. But yeah, back in Jesus' day, divorce was a political hot button. First one, and you know where he is, because that's kind of interesting. <coughs> the place is called Peria. If you look at the... The blue sea at the bottom, that's the Dead Sea. And you go to the right just a smidge, that whole section is Peria. He's not in Judea. He's not in Galilee. He's with Gentile. He's in Gentile territory at this point. And for some reason, the Pharisees came and found him, which I always found kind of interesting that that really happened. But that's okay. <coughs> now, divorce in Jesus' day. There are two houses of thought that are going on at the time. First is Hillel. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to call Hillel the liberal thinking of the day. He believed in the spirit of the law. So he didn't take it as stringently. Hillel went to the point where almost any reason was legit for divorce. We would call it no fault today. That was happening back then, which was fine. There was a large group of people that... that we're okay with this. And the way, and, and I, should, I forgot to 
put it up there for you. Deuteronomy 24. I know Trish got her Bible open. You have to go into the Hebrew, and if you look at the Hebrew, both Hillel and his contemporary Shammai, both of these interpretations work. God made that one a little tricky for us. So Hillel's saying, among many things, and he's about 70 years before Jesus and Shammai, and he said, divorce, pretty much okay. Any reason, it's cool. But then you come over to Shammai's side, we'll call him the right side, where he read Deuteronomy 24 and said, and that's what Jesus repeats, you can't divorce except for these couple of reasons Moses gave you, blah, 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 adultery. That's his side. So when the Pharisees come up to Jesus who says, I'm fulfilling the law, he's got to be on this side. Has no choice. However, that's when people stop reading when they get to verse 10, because I'm going to show you 11 and 12, how he could go on both sides of that fence, and it's all legitimate in the scripture. It's all scripturally legitimate. There is a wide view from here to here, as you know. And people are all in the center and whatnot. But once you understand the culture and what's going on, you just kind of go, oh, this makes perfect sense what he said. He, I thought it would be interesting to look at some cultural reasons. These are legitimate ones because they're in the Talmud and the Tzvesta and people are living by these rules. I thought you'd like this. So if you're the wife and you decide to curse your husband's parents in his presence, he can divorce you. Don't do it. <laughs> if a wife went into public and now unbound hair meant she didn't have it covered, that's divorce. Because it's believed that the only person that can touch a woman's hair would be her mother, her father, or her husband. So if you went outside without your covering, if you go into the Hasidic sections like we were talking earlier about Lakewood, you find that the women actually wear wigs. So that when their hair gets touched, it's not their hair. It's a very, 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 very old tradition. And I can give you all the reasons for it, but we're all going to get hungry soon. But there are some legitimate reasons that they believed. I mean, this is belief. And then you have the one which I thought, now they'd start getting a little funny here, but if you went into public as a woman with messy clothes, see, they don't go after the guys here, right? Right, Pappy? They go after the women here. There's going to be a couple good ones for the women in a second. But if you, uh, wives, went out into public in messy clothes, like stained and whatnot, it's not like you had a whole bunch of tunics in your closet. Anyway, you could be divorced for that. And then comes the one about the public bath. You know, they did not have indoor plumbing back then. I mean, the Romans did, but the Jews didn't. So when it was time to take a bath, there would be a center bathing area in your village. And a specific time, women would come. Of course, you got to get naked to get bathed. If you did that knowing that there were men watching. Now, yeah, there were guys that were on the rooftops. Remember David and Bathsheba? Yes, that happened. But if you went at the specified times, you were cool. But if you went to the bath, knowing that other men were look, could look at you, you could get divorced for that. That's adultery. And then the last one, which I like, is if you exposed your arms in public. So we looked around and said, oh, there's no women here in short sleeve shirts today. They're okay then. Because the belief was, who could touch you? Father, mother, husband, period. So if you happen to have your sleeves uncovered and you're in the market and it's kind of busy, you could get brushed up against. But you could be divorced for that. 
And you go, well, these are crazy rules. Well, for us today, it is crazy. This is 2,000 years ago that these people believed this and did that. They also came up with a marriage contract. How many of you have a marriage contract? No, not that license thing. I'm talking about a real contract. They call them prenups today, right? Prenuptial agreements. The ketubah was a marriage contract, and it would state things like, I have up there, the standard divorce payment was 200 shekels. And that was supposed to be enough income for the wife. The husband gives it to the wife, by the way. Kind of like alimony, we call it today. This is where all this stuff comes from. 200 shekels would probably last about eight, nine months. So you would have to get back on your feet. Now here's the tricky one. This is what kept divorce rates low. You had to give the dowry back. And of course, if you've been married for a while, that dowry is probably gone. I mean, imagine if the dowry is a bunch of chickens. It's like, well, I ate the chickens. Well, guess what? If I had a marriage contract with you and it was 10 chickens, I had to give you back 10 chickens. I had to do that. That was a way to keep the, that was a way to keep the divorce rate low because it cost you money if you went this route. And then we come to a left. So we're good on divorce. We understand where Jesus is at the moment. Now, I'm going to move him from here to here because we're going to put a lot of left stuff in. This is 11 and 12. These are the verses that you normally will not hear the preacher talk about. It's usually the good Baptist fundamentalist wants to beat you up about divorce. And he skips these because he doesn't know what to do with them. And this has to do with the eunuchs. What it's really saying is, in Jesus' day, men would desert wives. I don't want to be married anymore. I just skip town. That's probably where the phrase came from, isn't it? They would just disappear. But you also had another problem, if you think about it. Your husband may travel to another town. He may get killed along the way because of bandits and whatever. Or what happens if he's in the army? You may never get word that he died. So are you going to just sit around and wait for him? That was a problem. So they created a law, and this is in Jesus' day, this is not Hello Shammai, this is now Jesus' day that said, if your husband deserts you, hey wife, go to the court, because we had courts in all these towns, and you could file for divorce. Now you weren't getting your 20, 200 shekels and your dowry back because this guy's gone. But you had to do something about it. And according to my reading, a lot of men deserted their wives in those. It was unfortunately a common thing that happened. A lot of the time it was because they got dragged into forced labor. So the wife then could remarry because if she didn't have the divorce certificate with the ketubah being broken, then she's being an adulteress. That's what Jesus is really saying more than anything. You've got to have that divorce paper. But we're going to give you this, this extra out. That's what 11 and 12 is talking about. We would call it today the separation, usually the separation, and then there's divorce. He's putting it in there. Now, let me explain it this way. How many of you have seen the Santa Claus movies with Tim Allen, right? Great movies, right? Now, Susan, you never saw them. <coughs> okay, get on Netflix later and watch all three. They're hilarious. In the first one is where Tim Allen becomes Santa Claus. Scott Calvin becomes Santa Claus. And remember the second one is the Mrs. Claus, meaning he has to get married to be Santa. And in the third one, they call it the escape clause, 
right? Where he gets his little snow globe, puts his hand on it and says, I wish I was never Santa Claus and magically everything goes back to, to where he was. I call 11 and 12 the escape clause because I was thinking about it and I'm reading it and I'm like, well, wait a minute. Hard line is no divorce, but we know Jesus said it's okay to do that because sometimes you have to. Sometimes the only way to heal a marriage is through divorce. So he can't totally outlaw it. That's 11 and 12. He's basically saying your escape clause, and I'm sorry if you don't like that term, but that's my term, says separate. If you separate in his day from two to six months, anywhere in that time frame or more, usually it's within two to six months, you can go to the court and file the divorce papers. That's what the wives could do. <laughs> so here on one side, he's saying to the Pharisees, I'm a follower of Shammai. I'm following the Torah. I'm the fulfillment of the Torah. And then you get to 11 and 12, and he says, but let's talk reality here for a minute. Reality is there are times where divorce has to happen. And I'm going to give you the escape clause, 11 and 12. <coughs> So if you start to understand where this scripture is coming from and how it's affecting, affected by the culture, I hope you can start to see how we can actually, in a way, be on both sides at the same time. It's to understand the cure of a bad marriage is sometimes it's a divorce. No fault was not something I think he would have approved of. And I think that, that usually when you go into those proceedings, because I'm, I'm with a buddy right now who's going through it, you are asked the question, will you go to counseling? Will you try to make it better? It's fine. But sometimes it just doesn't work. And you just accept that's the way it is. But when you hear some Baptist going on or fundamentalist, oh, divorce is so terrible, you got to say, what does 11 and 12 say to you? Because that's the escape clause. That's where it is. So let me prepare communion and then come on up and have it with me or share it with me.